Hi, and welcome back to the Mob Mentality Show. I'm Chris Lucian, and I have an emergency co-host today, Jason Story, who has been on the show before. Uh, Jason, you want to talk a little bit about uh, who you are? Um, uh, sure. It's, it's fun being on the other side of the table this time. Last time I was a guest. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm a software developer. I'm a consultant and a contractor. I do a bit of everything, some web stuff, some Unity stuff, some game stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, my, my main hobbies and interests are around software architecture and clean code and that kind of thing. But I have a bit of an overlap with some hobbies and interests of uh, the guests of the show today. All right. And uh, speaking of our guest, uh, Vince Carpino is here to talk about uh, second brain, uh, externalizing co uh, context, uh, Zettelkasten, uh, bullet journaling, and commonplace books. So, uh, but first, uh, before we get into our topics, Vince, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, thanks for having me, guys. So yeah, my name is Vince. I'm an associate machine learning engineer at Hunter Industries currently. Um, so kind of a new new thing, a uh, new role, and it's kind of challenging and fun all at the same time. And uh, doing some exciting stuff. Um, the, the topics I want to bring up today are kind of uh, part of a culmination of like my productivity journey that I've been on recently, especially. Um, and they kind of they're, they're all pretty related and they kind of build on top of each other and they can all work together, which is really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm just excited to talk about it. Awesome. Uh, so uh, maybe you can just kind of get into the the beginning of this. What what started you on your journey? Uh, where did it lead you? And then maybe we can get into some of the techniques. Yeah. So I don't know exactly when it started, but uh, there's a specific YouTuber that I've kind of binged a lot of stuff, uh, Ali Abdal. And he's kind of like the productivity guru, um, you can kind of say on YouTube. So uh, I like to watch a lot of his stuff and kind of see what he's got to say and see how I can implement it into my own life. Um, and he's all about kind of improving productivity to like, you know, make your life easier and just kind of live a happier life, whatever. So uh, second brain in itself is probably a term that was kind of coined by uh, a guy named Tiago Forte. Um but the idea is kind of an older idea that's kind of hasn't really been named, I guess you could say. Um, so yeah, second brain is really just taking the thoughts and ideas and experiences that you encounter and externalizing them and putting them in a trusted location, whether that be a physical notebook or a digital piece of software. It's really just getting this stuff out of your head so that they don't get lost. And, um, you know, our brains, like a, a really, really good quote from David Allen, who's the author of Getting Things Done, a really uh, well-known book for productivity. Uh, the quote is like, our brains are for having ideas, not holding them. So it's that's kind of the core concept behind this whole second brain thing is like, once you have this, you know, strike of inspiration or a random thought that you don't want to forget and might come in handy later, write it down, externalize it, put it out of your brain so that it is secured somehow and then can be built upon later or, you know, whatever. So uh, that's kind of the general idea. Um, like I said, Tiago kind of coined, I think he was the guy who coined the term second brain. Yeah, he was. It was, it was officially his his baby, that particular one. Um, and I think it's it was worth having too because it's the space is very nebulous. And as you rightly pointed out, there's a number of different players in it that have different opinions. And for mm -hmm. me, um, it was the David Allen stuff was a revelation for getting things organized in terms of like structuring my items and to do's. But it wasn't until I read the the second brain from Tiago that it was like, oh, this is actually 
how I can sort of come to peace with my with my information. So I find their philosophy is very different. You know, you've got the high high organization from David Allen, and then you've got more of the like living with your knowledge side from Tiago. Yeah, I love that. And uh, you know, uh, I, I feel like I wrote this in my own second brain at some point, but uh, I think that Zettelkasten, as far as my research goes, that was the initial second brain version. Um, and then getting things done with David Allen, he kind of uh, made it a modern, he like gave it a modern update, I guess you could call it. And then Tiago took that further and was like, you know, this is version three um, and just kind of gave you different ways to do the same thing, mm -hmm. essentially, like the core concepts are the same, which is really cool. And they've kind of evolved over time and they each have their own flavor, I guess you could call it. But um yeah, they all essentially accomplishing the same thing of externalizing what's in your brain. So what, what's the difference between, I guess, those three techniques and, and like just taking notes, I guess, or or some other. Um, yeah, like uh, for for listeners that haven't heard of any of these techniques, uh, how is that different than like note taking you did at school? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And um, so Zettelkasten is German for slip box. Um, and it was created by a guy called Nicholas Lumen um, in the 20th century. So he was a uh, sociologist and he essentially had an entire wall of drawers of index cards, slips of paper. And he would, whenever he'd have an idea, he would write it down on the, on the card. Like each card was a single atomic idea. Um, and he had this really clever, uh, way of indexing them. He had like a alternating number, like numeric alpha combo for each individual card. So each card had a unique identifier and it also told you like its parent ideas as well. It was really clever. Um, in fact, the entire thing is digitized online. So if you want to, it is now, a yeah, complete online you could go and look at yourself. it. Exactly. Yeah. If you can read his handwriting, um, but uh so yeah so anyway each idea was its own had its own piece of paper but it if an idea kind of branched off of another idea um they would share part of that key and then you know you'd have like abc or one two three sub cards um so you could always trace back to like an origin thought and see how it branched out which was really cool so obviously this was a long time ago and everything was very analog the slips of paper written down um, and I guess over his lifetime or his career, he amassed like 90,000 cards or something, which if you did the math was like six a day for his career, which isn't crazy, but you know, a life, like a career long knowledge bank is, you know, priceless. I, so, I wish I had six ideas a day. That's <laughs> <laughs> worth writing down. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, that was like Zettelkasten was yeah. this slip box idea because all the slips went in the box. And that was the whole system. So, um, yeah. So then, uh, yeah, sorry. That was out of custom. So. Yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, well, what's, like... what's interesting is that there's, there's a fun chasm too, because there's obviously with digital tools, there's an infinite new ways of fun stuff to do for it, but there's a ongoing movement to kind of go back to the clarity of the original style. There's something called an anti-net Zettelkasten, which is people basically returning back to slip box approaches. And things. No so way. Very interesting. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I didn't even know about that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've noticed myself that I have kind of been leaning more towards analog forms of 
note taking, I guess, um, you know, with like bullet journaling and commonplace books that we'll kind of get to later. But um, I, I've, I don't know why, but I've always been a tech head. Like I've loved tech software my whole life, as long as I can remember. So I've just been obsessed with like, oh, everything, technology, software, it's just like the way to go. And then recently, I, I think kind of along this journey, I've appreciated going back to pen and paper so much more. I don't know why. I, don't, I can't explain it, but it just has a different sensation and a different like tactility that you can't replicate with digital tools. And I almost feel like some digital tools are overwhelming, especially when you just want to get an idea out. Um, you know, I, I, a while back I was, when I found out about Notion, I was obsessed. I put everything, I wanted to put everything in Notion. I was like, this is amazing. I can customize everything. I can, you know, make it, make it how I want. It's so powerful with, you know, it's databases and all that sort of stuff. Ali Abdul, who you mentioned earlier, runs a multi-million dollar company off the back of Notion. <laughs> exactly. Insane. Yeah. And he, I think he was one of the people that kind of put me in that direction, like told me about it because I hadn't heard of it. Um, and, you know, for some people, like it is their entire business. You know, they run it just like you said. Um, and so I, I tried to set up Notion as my second brain. And I, I did it for a while, but I think it was actually too much. Like it was too good. It was too powerful. And I really, you know, I was trying to set it up so that, you know, when I click this button, I go to this page and I just drop an idea. And then it's put into this inbox that's labeled as like unsorted. And then I have to come back and sort my inbox and like put it in places that I wanted. And it just, it was like too much. Um, it, it was really just like increasing the friction to uh, just dropping an idea. So I have a question for you then, because this is it kind of mirrors my own my own relationship to this stuff, which was when I started with the getting things done side of it, it's very project oriented. It's for people yes. who are like busy enterprise people who've got a, a infinite numbers of sources of information you're trying to wrangle. But mm -hmm. it doesn't it doesn't put a lot of weight or emphasis on the kind of breathing and thinking with your ideas. And then, as as you mentioned, Tiago sort of puts a lot more focus on one capturing stuff and then two making action items and moving. And so that leads on to his philosophy, which is kind of the counter to the uh, getting things done approach, which is the power system. So I'm just power curious system. if you've if you've leaned into that yourself at all, if that's kind of the direction you've gone. So yeah, when I set up my second brain, I set it up with the para methodology, um, and you know I. I thought of like any small house chore that was like a multi-step thing. I would make that a project and then I would create tasks for the project and so on and so forth. Um, you know, if I, if I had a random recipe, it would be a resource, you know, um, and then products that I had finished or abandoned were in the archives, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I, I was really leaning into that para thing because when I found that out, I was like, oh my God, that's, this is a brilliant system to kind of organize everything like you don't have to ask where does this go it's just like is it this or is it this it was very kind of a simple decision tree of like where does this yeah. go because that was always a struggle it was like okay i have this thought or i have this thing that i want to keep track of like what is it where does it go how can i find it later and i love that a lot of what he kind of advocates for especially when you're putting it into your para system and the kind of design philosophy behind para is not where did i get this idea where did i where did this come from? Where will it be useful? Because when I come back around and I need this, I'm not going to care where I got it. I need to know 
I need it to be ready for me wh where I'm looking because that's where I expected it to be. Um, and uh, totally randomly, uh, uh, in uh, Mary Kondo's book, the whole like organization um, and tidying up book, uh, she's like, you wouldn't go, like if you made a trip to Target or something and you got like a shirt, some bleach and some like produce, you wouldn't put those all in the same place in your house because you've got them at the same time from the same day. You would put them in the places where they're useful. Like you put your shirt in your closet, you put your bleach with your cleaning supplies and you put your produce in the fridge or whatever. So it's like putting it in a place where it's useful, not where you got it from, like or not organized based on where you got it from or when you got it. Yeah, the, I, it's, it's funny you combine those two ideas because I, I, I also was kind of like... There's something very pleasing about the the KonMari method, where uh, she talks a lot about the idea of uh, what sparks joy. What are the things that sort of make you happy versus the things which are sort of in your way? And one of the things that stuck with me personally was just little things around my office that were sort of, um, for lack of a better word, stressful. Things that like you bought and then regretted, but you didn't want to throw away because they were worth some money. And and when I kind of internalized her idea of saying you should kind of surround yourself with stuff you like. And if stuff doesn't bring you joy, then, you know, get rid of it. It's like, it's, yeah. it's no reason to have it anymore. And it, it's funny because I also had the same kind of relationship to notes where I was like, my information feels stressful. It feels like uh, I'm, it's something I'm required to engage with and it's like oppressive. And yeah. it wasn't until I kind of combined these ideas that I was like, oh, there's like the different cap, there's different phases, as you were saying. There's like a capture phase and then they're sort of engaging with it in terms of applying it to projects. And having that mental separation means you can freely capture things without worrying about their, uh, you know, use at the time. Where they need to go or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And then the second phase for the project stuff is where you can actually apply them to things. And I think that that mental separation is very uh, cathartic, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And that kind of, so then, so, okay, that kind of relieves some stress of like, where does this need to go? Right. Then I learned about Obsidian. And, and then at that point I had already learned about Zettelkasten and I just was like, oh my God, this is a digital Zettelkasten, like as it was originally designed, because you can, you just throw, you can throw all your ideas into their own notes and then the program will automatically or can automatically show the links between your notes for you so that you can bridge ideas that you had no idea had anything in common, but you can also manually be like, oh, this reminds me of blank and then create a new note from that word or whatever. Um, and that like network, that web that you create inside Obsidian is very much what I think is like the digital equivalent of Lumen's original Zettelkasten. Which you can even see, right? Because if you if you press the Control G keyboard shortcut, it brings up an entire it, graph of graph. all of the interconnected <laughs> notes of ideas, and it's like a, a very visual representation of your brain. Yeah, exactly, and it's literally it can literally be like a second brain because you can see because every everyone's custom to the user, so it it's one of the closest like representations of the way that you think and how your brain connects ideas because you can see it visually and share it with people, um, and you can also like if, if you're ever writing a blog post, making a video, any sort of creative thing, you can, you know, start with idea A that you want to talk about and then see what else it's connected to um, and just kind of build content from like 
what's already there. You don't never have to start from a blank page. And that's part of it, too, that I think it was something that Tiago Forte said, which really stuck with me, is the amount of times I sit down to write an article or do a project and you have the the tyranny of the blank page. Yes. It's like, how do I deal with this problem? And something that was particularly interesting is he was referring to uh, somebody else. I think it was a stage author or something who used to just have a box and the box would be the box for the project they're on. And every scrap of paper, every song, every idea just gets thrown in the box. And so when the time comes to sit and talk about the project, you've got the box of things to start with. And yeah. that sort of assuages that, that initial fear of the, the blank page. Yeah. Cause you're always like, you know, it's, just, it's this mountainous task to like start from nothing to like whip up some ideas off the top of your head that probably won't, aren't going to be as good. Cause you know, the more that you kind of marinate with an idea, the better it is and the more like rounded out it gets. So if you can, if you have those ideas already marinated in your second brain, um, mingling with your other ideas, then they're, they're already much further along than they would be if you started from a blank page. And on the mingling side, actually, I just one last one is: Have you heard of um, Nick Milo's stuff? Because he very much talks about the difference between note making versus note taking, which is very much that philosophy of mingling ideas and using the second brain to actually think, not just to store things. Oh, Nick Milo. Okay, I'll have to look him up. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I find like using uh, things that I store. Um, uh, in, in kind of the particular format that I, I go with, uh, you know, recall becomes a lot easier, uh, but it's not, you know, so, so it kind of just started with tasks and maybe like evolved from Kanban for me. Um, and then grew to, uh, kind of storage areas for fast reference or lookup. Um, and, and it kind of changed the way that I communicated with other people. So a lot of time, uh, you know, what, in my particular instance, I try and and externalize it and and make it available to other people, and then just link it to other people. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, how would you say that um, using the particular method that you use today uh, has changed the way either that you interact or that you work on things? Um, you know, I think the blank page thing is a great example. Anything else that stands out to you? So. Um... It's definitely a system, which is kind of like a vague answer, but uh, <laughs> the whole like second brain idea is really, sorry, is really just, it's like a platform. It's not, you don't have to do it any one specific way, which is cool. Um, and he provides like systems to get you started to see like what works for you and what doesn't, mm -hmm. um, which is really, really nice. Um, and the same thing with uh, like bullet journaling is you know, it's, that's another way to kind of externalize things into like a visual physical format that you can kind of keep track of that way and keep out of your brain, um, which also is extremely flexible and modular and customizable. Um, but it, it, you know, came from a core process. So, you know, you can start there and then take what you take, what's useful and then leave behind what isn't, which is really, 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 really nice. So um, I'd say my current second brain system, because it's ever evolving, is um, I keep this little commonplace book in my back pocket and I have a little pen that I bring with me. And whenever an idea strikes, I just write it in here. I don't take out my phone. I try to write it in here. Um, and it, it, it could just be anything. Like uh, the other day I was thinking about, because uh, now that I'm working solo and not in a mob, 
I'm using Pomodoro as my like way to stay focused and, you know, make sure I'm taking breaks, things like that. So I just drew this like graph of, and I hope it focuses of like, there you, go. <laughs> um, you know, typically your productivity and your energy kind of fades over time if you're just working, working, working without breaks, but with Pomodoro, you're, you know, you're working and you take a break, you're working, you take a break, you're working, take a break. So over time, over the day, you're probably a bit more energetic and productive than you would be if you never took a break and things like that. So just random mm -hmm. thoughts that I just want to get out of my head, um, can just be one way to like do that. And, um, there was a video that I saw recently that kind of put me onto this was basically just talking about how, you know, our, our devices, our phones, especially are really designed to capture our attention. And they're really, really good at that. Like companies spend billions of dollars to figure out the best way to like entice you and keep you on their platform. So, you know, as soon as you open up your phone to write down an idea, if there's anything on your home screen, on your notifications, you're so much more likely to be distracted and forget that idea um, than if you could just write it down without any resistance or distraction, which is what this kind of provides. Like it doesn't have an agenda. There's no notifications or battery, whatever. It's just a blank page that, so for in that sense, that's a good blank page is that there's no, nothing mingling with the idea that you just want to get out of your head really quick. Um, and you can, it can be messy. It can be unfinished. It, it doesn't have to be perfect. And that's the whole point is that that's just like stage one, get it out of your head in some way. Right. And then from there, you know, uh, on some cycle, whether it's daily or weekly, uh, you know, I kind of try to go through the notebook, see what I haven't, uh, put in my second brain yet, and then kind of transfer from the book into obsidian in my case, which is my note taking second brain of choice. And, and there you can kind of refine it a little bit more if you want, um, to kind of see where it goes and see where it, what it links to, if anything, but it's just kind of reducing the friction again, like, uh, atomic habits, you know, <laughs> re reducing friction, making your, making it easier to do the right thing or do the thing that you want. So you literally just find a blank page, write it down, and then it's out and you don't have to worry about it anymore. I, yeah. I think that's such an important point because there's so much, as you said, of this noise digitally. Um, and, and like to match that blank page approach from just a piece of paper, for example, I use a, a, a sea of things. I use something called Newsfeed Eradicator, which turns off all of the sidebars and feeds on everything from Twitter to Facebook to YouTube. Uh, I have something called Cold Turkey Blocker, which blocks a whole pile of websites and things, all of that just to clear all of that stuff out. And then when I find an article I want to read, as you said, there's just so much noise. I use something called Readwise Reader, where I click a button mm -hmm. and it, it takes the whole thing and moves it out to a clean article. And what's really nice is it strips away all of the stuff that isn't just images and text. I can read it in this sort of clean environment. And then as I highlight and take notes to circle back to what you were saying about Obsidian, I have an importer that just magically imports the whole lot into Obsidian. And then I have all of that there. And as a final uh, tip on that, um, there's a uh, Obsidian has a huge plugin architecture because it's based on Electron Massive. and JavaScript and all of that. And yeah. so uh, there's things like a Pomodoro timer that you can have right there and Obsidian on your sidebar as you're working on it. So it it that removing of friction is very much, I think, an important part of this whole life cycle of things. Precisely, yeah. And uh, just like you said, Obsidian is like a whole entire ecosystem that the community, the the amazing community, is like building together, which is really really cool. Nice. Um... What would what would you define common commonplace books as? Yeah, so I, I had to look up because I, I briefly heard that term 
Um, and I, I wanted to make sure that it was an accurate representation of what this is. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's like the closest I could find. Um, commonplace books kind of date back to like the Renaissance or something. Um, and so I, I was hoping that that was like a close enough uh, definition of right. what this is. But it's essentially, uh, it, it's any, it can be any notebook really, or any, I think it's preferred to be paper, pen and paper, but I guess you could make it anything you want. But it's essentially just, for me, it's just a tiny little notebook that can come with me and reduce or um, it's not bothersome because it's so tiny. It can fit in my back pocket. I don't know if the scaling really helps, but it, it's really tiny and it doesn't have to be fancy. And it, it's really just, think of it as like the notes app of your phone without it being digital. It's yeah. it's There's no... There's nothing special about it. Oh, it's probably <laughs> just, yeah, it's, it's just yeah, a book to get ideas out of your brain and they can just be like, this first one was like an AeroPress recipe that I found that I wanted to like not have to pull out my phone and like back it up and forward yeah. it to, to figure out what I was doing. Um, so I just wrote it down. Uh, you know, there's, like I said, um, like failure, it takes up some percentage of, the work that you do. So the more you do, the more you can achieve because failure is just going to make up some percentage of it. It's just like a random idea that, you know, I, I, I would find it really hard to doodle a progress bar like that in a notes app on a, on my phone. So the pen and paper, it, it's limitless in terms of what you can do with it. Uh, like yeah. what you can, the ideas that you can put in there. Um, yeah. So it, it helps to cut down on the signal to noise ratio too, because I find that you end up with one of two dichotomies, which is either you capture stuff officially and you open up like a document and start writing things. And that sort of kills some of the creativity because you're engaging with like, now I have to simultaneously structure and organize it while capturing, which is a terrible idea. And almost every one of these books will tell you split your capture phase from your structure phase. But the other side of it's true as well, where if you use digital tools that automate all of your information that comes into your phone, you capture everything. And the signal to noise ratio is so high of like every meeting, every call, every GPS coordinate and positioning. And the benefit of a, of a commonplace book is it's meant to represent like the the poets of the day who would just walk around and muse about like, oh, that's an interesting thought. And it's it's you structuring things that that stick out to you in a way that doesn't have to be sorted yet, but is important enough to capture. And so it, I find it does fit that happy middle ground of like it, it is things that resonate with you, which is, is something that uh, Tiago says a lot, Tiago, resonating yep. information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's like your litmus test for do I capture this is. Mm. If it does, it does it resonate with you? Does it like spark something? It's almost like the uh, Marie Kondo, yeah, the KonMari, the yeah, KonMari method joy. again. It's like it keeps coming back around. Where it's like, does this spark something? Is it? And it doesn't have to be good or bad. It can be anything. Like there's no. It, it's a spectrum, but it's really that. Does it? If if it comes to you and is like, whoa, in any way, that's worth writing down. If it's just a like random, and doesn't hold weight in at all it doesn't affect you then it's you don't have to write it down but yeah that's that like kind of litmus test and um, um, and just like you said sorry Chris go ahead no, I was gonna finish your thought finish okay your thought. um but yeah the the whole that reminded me the the pen and paper aspect of it inversely reduce or increases friction because writing is slower than typing so you 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 give yourself more time to actually process what you're thinking. Um, and it actually, like you said, mm. the signal to noise ratio is if you're able to write it on a computer super fast and there's no limit, there's no like whatever it, um, 
like you said, you have more chance of or introducing that noise just because you want to get stuff on the page. Whereas with pen and paper, you're physically slowed down to like thoughtfully create and thoughtfully. hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I call it chewing on ideas. I think because if you write stuff yes. down, you end up like stuff just gets blurted out and you never engage with it. You don't have to, but if you have to write it down, you have to formulate it. And that's another thing that a lot of people will say, um, I think, again, Nick Milo specifically focuses on this one. He says that if you write things down as you hear them, like like transcribing notes from a lecturer, there's no engagement. There's no reason for you to engage with that, those words. And if you come back to those notes later, you don't remember the context or the phrasing because you wrote down as the other person said it. But if you write them down in your own your words. Your own words. Yes, it, you're, you're going to not only trigger it to yourself and have some sort of association, but it'll also be easier for you to read because you read back and go, oh, that's how I would think about it or phrase it. And so that friction, as you said, is a really good addition in that kind of capturing process. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the like going back to the video that kind of introduced me to this was uh, he talked about some, I think, I think an author or some big minded person who would we specifically use a pen that had very slow drying ink in their in their commonplace book or in their book to make sure that they had to stop at the end of the line and like look at it again and see what they just wrote before they moved on so it's yes we want to reduce friction to get ideas out but we also want to slightly increase the friction so that we are getting good ideas out and not like you said the noise that can come with being kind of limitless with the digital tools. And what, um, one thing that I've, I've seen you do uh, just in the past is um, uh, advocate for a second brain for a mob while mobs programming. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because I think that was an, an interesting concept because a lot of, uh, I think a lot of knowledge is, is a little bit transient, especially when you're, um, doing like pr promiscuous mobbing, you're like rotating people on a regular basis. Um, so you want to talk, get into that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think in the workplace, uh, at least the way that we work, it, it's good to have, I think we call it like a wiki. So it's really just cause I, I think David Allen, um, said this at some point in his book, but like you should really only have an idea once unless you really like having that idea. Um, so, you know, one, if, it, if it's something that is important, especially if it's something that you do a lot or you deal with a lot or you need to reference a lot, why do you have to keep looking it up or researching it every single time or remembering it, trying to remember it? Like get it out in a shared place where everyone has access to it, especially in a workplace that, you know, is easy to find and is just standardized, I guess, is the best way to put it because if you have to keep doing the same thing over and over again and you haven't, well, if you haven't automated it, that's a whole different thing, but um, at least knowledge that is applicable to all the people that you're working with, like should be in a shared place that's easy to access. Um, so that's the kind of the wiki that we've pushed for, especially. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, and those, those things are really interesting too, because they, it's all these ideas you're saying tie together. Like um, the wiki um, the word wiki comes from wiki wiki, which is supposed to be being fast and it's the idea of, of fast capturing things. And what, what's interesting on the other side of it is HTML, which is what all of us are like Obsidian is based on the rest of the websites. A lot of people forget that the um, the H portion of that is or HT is hypertext and hypertext originally the 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 promise of hypertext was linking. That's the entire what's the difference between a piece of text and a web page? It's the linking. It's the idea the that you can link to some other 
thing which the hypertech come from and so all of this stuff definitely ties together and and you're not alone by the way Vince is that I'm attacking Chris on the other side of it we have semi-regular <laughs> meetings and I and I keep pushing obsidian on him too so I think we'll, we'll get there eventually we'll, we'll get we'll get him using it yeah you both are wearing me down over time yeah exactly I mean, I, I push for Markdown everywhere I can too, like especially in our wiki, just because it's like it's stupid simple and it's powerful for what you do with like what you uh, can do with it. So it's just plain text, yeah. Um, and it's transferable across. It's not like platform specific. It is completely like separate from that, which is really cool. Yeah. No matter what the rendering, the the end rendering is kind of decoupled from you know the actual physical text that you put into it um right yeah like you, you know like a notion page like if you ever exported it it's probably going to be in like some form like converted format things like that whereas you know things like uh, obsidian that are markdown based it's like you can go into your file system and look at the markdown like the raw text and read it it's not some bytecode or whatever it's it's literally just plain text um that can just be it can be on a mac it could be on windows it can be on a phone it could be it could be moved to another app if Obsidian ever implodes and like doesn't work anymore. Like it's not, you're not tied to anything because it's such a ubiquitous platform. It's also an intermediate format, right? Like I I, did, I released a blog yesterday uh, on Obsidian, funnily enough, and it was written in Markdown and I, I parsed it through a HTML parser that spit it out with all of the styles and things at the other end of it because there you go. Um, yeah, Markdown lets you keep the semantic meaning. So plain text, you can't describe what a list is versus a table. But in Markdown, you could say, look, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if you want your bullet points to be stars or hearts or exclamation marks, but I do want this to be a defined list. And so Markdown lets you put the semantic meaning into the document, but make no no rules about how it should look. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, we also had a, a thing to kind of talk about bullet journaling. Is there anything specific or, or maybe uh, to go into that or... Yeah, I'd so be really was, interested again, on that because I, I don't do bullet journaling at all, and I've been really interested in, in getting into it. And one thing I'm, I'm curious to ask you about specifically is I know that each bullet has like semantic meaning, which comes back to that idea that I really love when you bake meaning into the notes. So yeah. regarding the like partial shaded dashes and lines, if you could talk a bit about that, because that that always confused me, but it looked interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I've had a somewhat interesting relationship with bullet journaling. So I heard about it uh, a while ago, and um. I didn't really know what it was. I, I didn't know if it was for me because I, I, like I said, before this whole productivity thing, I was very tech based. I was like tech, tech, tech. I don't want to use a notebook and pen and paper that's slow and disorganized and hard to search, whatever. So um, I kind of put it off for a while. And then I saw a video from Matt Diavella, Diavelli, um, who is also like a big productivity minimalist kind of YouTuber guy. And he basically dumped on bullet journaling. Um, he like, he tried it out for a month and the person that he kind of got advice from to like how to bullet journal, she's like, she's been bullet journaling for years and she has this like whole advanced technique. So he tried to replicate her like five plus year long evolution of her technique, which was like work for her because she's been practicing it for that long. Um, so he tried this like super advanced thing that he had to do a lot of setup every single week or every single month. And it was just like, he was frustrated and all this sort of stuff. So I was like, okay, if that's bullet journaling, I don't want to do it. So um, I kind of put it off for a little bit. And then once again, you know, months go by and Ali Abdal has a video of like 20 cheap purchases that'll improve your life or something like that. And a bullet journal was one of them or like a notebook 
that he used as a bullet journal. And it was like on screen for a minute. He talked about it barely. Um, and I was like, oh, if Ali Adal is bullet journaling, like maybe I should look it up again. And kind of, so I did a true research of like, okay, what is bullet journaling? Where did it start? So writer Carol, writer Carol was the creator of the bullet journal. I don't know how long ago, maybe five, 10 years. Um, and it's a very simple method, you know, pen and paper. Uh, and, you know, uh, you essentially, like you said, different bullets have different meanings. So uh, with the core bullet journal method is a, a, a dot is a task, uh, a, a circle bullet is like an event that you need to put on your calendar or have on your calendar. Um, a dash is a note of some sort, uh, whether it's related to a task or just an idea that you want to note that's not specifically actionable. It's just a note, an idea. Um, and then he has this system of like, uh, I forget, I think migration, um, where basically if you, if you, at the end of the day, you checked off the things like the tasks, you cross out a task, like with an X so that you can see that it's visibly, visibly done. Um, so if you didn't get to a task one day, you can migrate it by drawing an arrow through that little dot to say that, okay, I've migrated this task to the next day or the next week, depending on your, the cycles of your plan, because you can do a daily log, you can do a weekly log, you can do a monthly log, you can do all of them. Um, so if you have like, you know, this month, I want to get this done, you can put it on your monthly log. And then every week you can check your monthly log to see like, okay, what are my outstanding monthly tasks? Let me try to get them done this week. Um, and then so on and so forth. And then if something is uh, like, like you don't, so usually migration is usually pushed to the next cycle, whether that's daily or weekly. Um, but if it's something that you really want to push further, you can, uh, I forget the, the term exactly, but you basically put the arrow the other way and you put it way back in like your yearly uh, view or something like that, where it's like, I really don't need to get to this for like a while. Um, but I just wanted to make sure I notated it, things like that. So, uh, that was like the core method that he came up with way back. And people have like the community again, kind of like obsidian has kind of developed and experimented with a whole slew of variations and, um, different like modules that you can plug into your bullet journal, um, which are really, really cool. And, uh, yeah. So again, it's, it's a way to externalize the things you need to get done kind of like getting things done where you just need to externalize it so it's like tasks you can manage projects you can manage you can journal like bullet journaling journal is like in there so it's you know for mental clarity um i think Ryder describes it as a um mindfulness practice disguised as a productivity system <laughs> um so it reminds me a lot of um arlo belshi's git commit notation Mm. Um, because, you know, you're throwing in an R if it's a refactoring, an exclamation point if it's like a breaking change, F for feature. Um, and you're able to kind of go back and look at the Git history uh, as well. So, and, and it is a little bit of a mindfulness thing. Like, am I putting too much in this commit if I can't pick one letter? Right. Um, yeah. I mean, it gives so, you, yeah, it gives you just enough friction to stop and think. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think that's a running theme too, is what, what fascinates me. Is if, if you take all of the big names you've mentioned, you know, um, Ali Abdul, um, Tiago Forte, and Matt Devella, and the rest of those people, you're thinking, well, they're they're you know known as productivity gurus, but without fail, each one of them uses the lowest end on the spectrum of the tools. Like 
developers like us are going to be using over the top obsidian multiple plugin whatever but i've i've looked into how each of these people work and it's like oh i use apple notes i just press the sync button and it moves from here to yeah. here and it's it's fascinating to me how um like matt develler very in particular is a uh, super minimalist he has like a set number of shirts he wears he literally he did he did that whole house hopping thing for a while where he'd never live in a house for longer than a few months and do everything crazy crazy minimalism experiments and it always fascinated me how it, we're making it sound very complicated like there's a million different parts of this but the truth is it's all about these are just options and, and various avenues exactly but it's about picking something simple that works and the, the biggest the people who use this every day have the simplest of all of the systems which kind of fascinates me exactly and and that's like you said it's like that uh inverse relationship that you you're you're not expecting because you know they're able to do so much because there's way less friction in their system um so you you know you you think that some overly complicated, complex thing is going to help you be more productive, but it's it's totally the opposite of you know the least amount of friction to get think get an idea out or get an idea to production you know in some way is the way that you're going to increase your your productivity overall. I think it was you know? James Clear in the in the book Atomic Habits. He said that love um, that book. Yeah, we, we don't raise to the level of our expectations, we fall to the level of our systems. And so it's about keeping the simplest system you can. And that's the one that will like actually sustain you. And, and exactly. if you try to put too much stuff in, it'll never work. You'll never nope. use it. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it also comes back to that sparking joy. Like if you're, if to get an idea out, there's like 15 hoops to jump through, and you don't enjoy that, you're you're just mentally not gonna want to do any of that and then the idea just kind of fizzles so they're all connected yeah yeah i and i think um i i've kind of like moved also to this kind of uh externalizing con context for groups of people or you know a lot of people sending me links or something along those lines and uh collaborative you know i use trello boards for like collaboratively publicly exposed i think it. that's your second brain i've yeah, seen your yeah, board and it is <laughs> insane and your trello board is in my discord as a link so there you go it's all still yeah, connected. second brains within second brains yeah and well and then um i also uh proximity like proximity of second brain so like the commonplace book thing i think um you know I, I've started I've started experimenting with keeping the Kanban in a markdown file uh, for the project itself rather than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, there's a lot of like kind of running experiments you can have with something like this. So it's pretty cool. It's good. Stuff. Yeah. And like, uh, you know, like we've been saying, a lot of these general principles are just that they're they're systems. They're not really implementation specific you yeah. can implement them in the way that works for you which is really really nice so experimenting with them is the best way to figure out what works for you yeah. and what doesn't and with a lot of them you can you can pick and choose at your will and make it that custom thing for you um which is really cool because you know there's never going to be a system that works for everybody so the ability to the the way that they you know, have made these platforms and these ideas is that they are very custom, customizable. Um, and it's not like a one solution kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think, again, very important because for me personally, um, I loved all these ideas, but there was there was one friction point that I just couldn't get my head around, which is that a lot of people 
come from the angle of writing things down and very like written heavy work. Um, I grew up with online learning, video specifically. So my entire way of engaging with information was very video focused. And it made it very hard for me to engage with this with this kind of idea of everything has to be transcribed and moved. And so when I started doing my my daily notes and my daily journals, I'm like, this is not how my brain works. And there's, there's a conflict here. So my solution is I actually use OBS. I sit and I just sit down in the morning, I press the record button, and I just talk into my camera and I just record a few minutes of what my thoughts are. And then using a series of magical various different things, it gets moved to my eagle and then gets auto transcribed. And then the auto transcribing gets dropped into Obsidian. And so I can do all of my searching and note taking and whatever and linking. Beautiful. Um, but it's I've just like removed my personal friction from that system. And and it's it's as you said, it's like use the bits that make sense to you and ignore the bits that don't. Exactly. And use the parts of every part of your system for the thing that they're really good at. So obviously, you know, doing everything in pen and paper has its pros and cons like pro there's no distractions and uh you can you know you take your time to like refine a little bit and uh there's less noise but the con is that you can't search it easily yeah the pro of digital tools is that searching is bread and butter it's like so easy to search digitally but then you have you know this uh, um another uh video that reminded me of like if you type something, the the font of being on the screen is so perfect that your brain thinks the idea that you're typing has to be perfect and done immediately because it already looks so pristine on the screen. Whereas a pen and paper, it can be, it can be messy and you can just get it out. So and on, again, the, on that note too, I do exactly the same thing. So for all my talk about automation, all that stuff, I use sticky notes and you'll even see here, this is about reviews and scheduling. And there's actually one here on Obsidian for my various notes. And so what I do is exactly what you said, this gets the ideas out. It's faster. It's easier to kind of think without the clutter and the technology. And then I will transcribe it and move it in and all that stuff. And so, as you said, use the right tool for the right job. And I, I've, even myself, I find there's like some stuff I just need to step away from the digital and just focus on the ideas. Right. Exactly. And yeah. I'm going to jump in here because I think we're about out of time. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, before we close out the show, Vince, is there anything that you want to plug or share uh, before? We um, I, I will share a bunch of links with you, Chris, and we can drop them in the description yeah. or whatever. Show but, notes, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Show notes. So, um, yeah, it'll probably be YouTube heavy because I'm a YouTube binger for sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, resources in that regard will probably be YouTube videos to kind of break it down for you. All right. Sounds good. Um, to all of our, uh, well, actually, thank you, Jason, for jumping in as a co-host today. And to all of our uh, listeners out there, if you know somebody that could maybe learn something about Second Brain or you feel like they they uh, maybe uh, could use a little help externalizing context, then share this episode with them. Um, if you do any of these techniques, uh, please leave them in the comments or, or hit us on uh, any of the social media that we're at and uh like subscribe and all that and we'll see you next time bye everybody <laughs>